Welcome to the Barely Liquid Podcast. On this show, I talk about planning a life around illiquidity. Join us as we navigate around the complexities of investing in businesses, real estate, and more. To learn more, visit jakecran.com. That's J-A-K-E-C-R-A-N.com. All right. I'm here with Chris Powers. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me today, Jake. Pumped to be here. Yeah, no, we're excited to talk. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. And uh, just this morning, I was talking to my wife. She's She knew I had this interview. I was excited to record. And she's like, good luck. And then I told her, um, and we didn't even talk about this before we came on. I was like, you know that metal card that you have? Um, I was like, that. I got that idea from Chris. He posted on Twitter <laughs> of a card you carry in your wallet. Um, it was like a handwritten note that your dad sent you. And then you got it engraved on a metal card. I actually got that done for my wife when her grandfather died because he would pass out these little business cards that uh, yeah. had Psalm 23 or something on it with his phone number of like, hey, if you're interested, give me a call. So now her whole family has them. So I that's awesome. You posting that. Yeah, that's one of the best gifts I've ever, ever gotten. My my dad passed away 11 years ago. And yeah, my sister went digging through, I guess, some notes that he had written me and uh, for Christmas took a line from one of the notes and put it on. Still got it in my wallet right now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I love stuff like that. Well, I want to get started <clears throat> on you have a successful podcast, an entrepreneurship <sighs> podcast. You started it probably five, six years ago. Just why you had a real estate company, Fort Capital. Why did you start the podcast? Yeah, it's a great question. Um I started it, it was actually my five-year anniversary was like, I think on Monday. Um, and I started it, one, because I always felt like, one, I'm just a really inquisitive person. And so I felt like I was always having these great conversations with people and then going around and telling people about them. So when I first started, it was kind of like a hobby. It was, I, I think I said, you know, I might do 10 or 20 of these. I'm going to record them, put them out there and just kind of, see what happens. And so the first one was just like following my curiosity and my passion. Uh, I absolutely love chatting with people. I love kind of deep conversations. So that was kind of the start of it. And then one realized I really liked it. And then started just noticing other things. Like you mentioned, I own a business, uh, Fort Capital and, and the, the network that it was opening up to Fort Capital, the, the recruiting uh, opportunities that it opened up, the deal flow, the ability to raise capital. So it started serving that purpose, which really wasn't the intent up front. And then over the last five years, you know, serendipitously, like some of my coolest moments and some of my coolest relationships and things I've had the opportunity to do have come somehow connected to the podcast or recording the podcast. And I think the last is just, I love, uh, kind of giving back and it's a way to give back. It's a way to share knowledge for free. And I try and have conversations, one that interests me, but two, you know, will benefit other people. And that's definitely what we've seen. Yeah. There's a huge network effect that comes with it and building credibility. And I think that's, and educating your ideal audience that can become investors or employees or partners or have companies that you invest in. I think it's a incredible way to get your message out there. Yeah, it's like a non it's an it's a direct to the 
you know, direct to the consumer message. It's not fluffed up. It's authentic. Yeah. You know, you kind of watch like the news or something on TV. It's a very scripted conversation. You know, it's, it's more of a show. This is about as authentic as a way I call it, uh, building trust at scale. Um, and what you mentioned about the network effects is, you know, if, if I have somebody in New York on the podcast, uh, very good chance that I'll get to know their inner circle. Their inner circle might listen to it. They might become listeners of the podcast. And so it's a way to kind of, like you said, build network effects. Yeah, absolutely. At what point did you go from this is going to be a hobby to we're going to actually start me and my business partner are going to start pouring resources into it and let Chris use a meaningful amount of the work day or work week and start pouring gasoline on this thing? Yeah. Well, one, I've got a really good team, so it, it probably doesn't take as much time now as as it used to. But I would say it was probably – I don't really remember the time, but it, it just started becoming obvious that it was a huge benefit. Um, you know, I think more CEOs or more companies are going to have podcasts. You're already seeing it, whether they're internal podcasts or external. All right, guys, Jake's here. I dropped the ball. We lost a couple minutes of the interview with Chris Powers, but do not worry. We picked it back up. So if it sounds a little choppy right here, that is why it's my fault. I'm uh, definitely not an expert um, audio producer, but we're doing the best we can. So thanks for hanging on. Now stay tuned for more talk with Chris about podcasting, real estate, um, et cetera. Thanks, guys. So we, we've talked a little bit about the podcast, like looking forward to the future of like the growth of your business. And we'll dive more into the business. Like where, where do you see content, podcasting, YouTube, Twitter, like what, what's in the works? Yeah, I think, like I said, podcast is building trust at scale. So you build this audience that you can talk to week after week. And if you've listened to my podcast, most of it's interviews, but a lot of times we'll do a, podcasts like on how Fort Capital does something or my partner and I for the last five years have done a year-end episode where we talk about everything that happened in the business that year and what we learned and what we made mistakes on and what's going forward and so again it's just a microphone directly to people that have interest in you and now we have you know over 40,000 unique listeners a month which is huge um and so, again, I think it's just the beginning. I mean, I think you're starting to see a lot more podcasts. Um, it's becoming a lot more mainstream. But, again, it's the most authentic way I can think to reach my audience and kind of say what I want to say in the verbal word, which people can, you know, understand. You don't need to be watching a video, per se, to listen to it. Twitter um, is kind of the same thing. I mean, I got on Twitter in 2018 or 2017. And it was really after Trump had gotten elected, I was like, man, we just had a president get elected. And a big part of it was this thing, Twitter. And now you see some of the most important people in the world are on there kind of sharing their ideas, uh, talking directly to their audience with no kind of middleman in between. And so, again, it's another way to kind of build trust, show people how I'm thinking um, and, again, build a following. Because at the end of the day, it all leads to like distribution. If you can distribute your message, um, your wants, your needs, your desires, uh, provide value to the audience, it, it comes back tenfold. And so from a pure business perspective, I think distribution is king. We're starting to learn that. Um, you look at like Elon Musk, 170 something million followers, um, goes on podcasts all the time. 
It said that he, Tesla's never spent a dollar on marketing. Like he is marketing. Um, and so I think it's, it's a cheap way to have, it's like the ROI on time spent is probably the highest I can think of between Twitter and podcast and things of that nature. Do you view your role now at Fort Capital as more of like marketing guy? To be honest with you, I mean, I, I, marketing, uh, creative, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think my job is to reach the most amount of people, let them know about Fort and what's going on create the best opportunity for our employees to, uh, you know, piggyback off any tailwinds that come from that. It's a great way to meet the types of investors that are interested in what we're investing in. So, yeah, you can call it marketing. I mean, I, I majored in finance and marketing, but I've been pretty vocal that I think marketing was definitely the better major. Um, mm. You know, everything is sales. Everything is marketing. And if you can learn to get your message out there um, and really show your audience how you're providing value that's really how you build a business you don't really need finance until you know you have customers or things to work on and so i've always fallen more the camp of probably being a marketing guy than a than a finance guy but that doesn't go to say that i i love investing as well um and the podcast is great for that i learn a ton um that gives me insight into how other people are thinking what's going on in the world. I, I read a ton. And so it's a nice little combo of get my message out, but also also affords me the time to spend just kind of thinking about what's next. Yeah, it's such a, like, it's just a much better way to grow like your real estate business from a small business to medium sized business to a big business. It's so much yeah. more fun to go out there and share the message this way than it is to just be flying around the country and taking people to steakhouses and trying sure. to get capital. It's just a much more authentic way and it allows people to get to um, know you um, before they even talk to you. That's, so a, that's a great point. They, you get to know a lot of people before you meet them and look around. I mean, you look at the biggest companies now, and even on the stock exchange, they, they all have podcasts. Most businesses are starting to have them. If they don't now, they will. Um, right. I think it'll be part of the marketing toolkit for every company if it's not already. So you started Fort Capital out of college. You started investing in real estate. Why real estate? Yeah, I don't have a great reason. Um, I needed to make money. Uh, this was 2004. And uh, the quick story is I, I had grown up and one of my mentors was in real estate and he was great. And so it was something that interested me. But I met a guy my freshman year that had won Entrepreneur of the Year, and he was buying rental houses around the university. And the short end is he taught me how to do it um, with little financing down and taught me uh, the ropes on how you rent properties and create income and how you refinance and can pull money out and reinvest that money. And um, so it was it was a way to make money. It was a way to make more money than call it a, you know, an eight hour eight dollar per hour college job and i really liked it and got pretty good at it and so spent a lot of time learning how to continue investing in it and that started while you were in college and so did you ever go after you graduated did you ever go work for someone or did you just go straight into building your own real estate company i've had two uh 
I would I wouldn't call them long tenured careers. So when I graduated in '09, <laughs> I graduated in '08 at the bottom of the market, and I was flipping homes and I had a portfolio of rentals. But really, like the 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 market was dead. I didn't have a ton of capital at that point. Um, I had a good amount, but not enough to keep me like really busy, and there just wasn't a whole lot going on. And so I decided to take a commercial real estate brokerage job that I would do in the afternoon. So I'd work in the mornings, and then I would work on brokerage in the afternoons. And I did that for about three months, and then I quit because a big development deal, my first development deal at TCU kind of came to be, and I realized I needed to put all my attention on that. So that was really my only career outside of working for myself and it was short-lived but i will say i learned a lot in that three months about commercial real estate brokerage and, and how it worked and again this was 09 so there wasn't a ton going on at the time so it was still good experience but no for the most part i've spent 18 years working uh for myself did you get any deals done in those three months i got two deals done they were small i was doing office tenant rep brokerage um and I did like a small thousand square foot lease in Bedford. And then I did one up in Richardson, uh, like three or 4,000 square foot lease. And at the time, the the pitch was like called blend and extend. So you would go to existing tenants and basically say like, hey, you know, your landlord's losing tenants. There might be a way to renegotiate your lease early and get your rate down if you're willing to extend your lease a little bit. And so that was kind of the pitch back then. And I was able to get a couple done. But. Ultimately, my TCU development was calling my name, and so I, I went on to do that. That's awesome. I think it was the right decision. Tell us a little bit about – so that's the start of Fort Capital. Tell us about where we are today. Yeah, today uh, today we – in 2016, we went kind of all in on a strategy of acquiring what we call Class B, kind of shallow bay, multi-tenant industrial properties throughout Texas. And today we have an incredible team – uh, of over 50 people, we have offices in Fort Worth, Dallas, and Houston, and a small satellite office in San Antonio now. Um, we've acquired a little over 12 million square feet throughout that period and currently own a little over 7 million and, and manage an additional two on behalf of third parties. We call it fully vertically integrated. Um, so we uh, do our own property management. We do some of our own leasing, some of our own construction management. And then obviously we have our investment and asset management team. Um, our mission is to be the best real estate operator in the world. And so we focus highly on really being able to operate properties uh, best in class. We think that matters, especially in the environment that we're in now. What we found was a lot of companies would get started and they would do a lot of deals, but they didn't really have the the bandwidth to operate all those deals. And so, you know, since 2018, I think is when we developed that mission. We've we've thought about operating, and we've built technology and software that helps us operate better. The way we train our team, the way we think about any process, uh, is how do we get more efficient and um, do more with less? Yeah. You transitioned out of the CEO president role into a chairman role. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, the, this, uh, so this was four years ago and, um, you know, I've been kind of vocal that a lot of CEOs probably shouldn't be CEOs. My friend Brent B. Shore says that small businesses don't stay small on purpose and. I was just getting to a point where I, I, I wasn't enjoying my work as much anymore. Um, I didn't really know why because I love the business, 
but I had gone from the early days of running around doing deals and, you know, being in the, the trenches to um, kind of more of a managerial role, which, you know, I just wasn't, I hadn't really been trained and, and it wasn't something that, um, you know, I was really that good at, but I was spending a lot of energy on it. So I hired a, and, and I have a wonderful partner, Jason, who, who was really good at those things. He had, he had worked at a previous company, had learned a lot about leadership and uh, being a great manager and how to build culture and teams and systems and processes. And so at the time we said, I said, well, um, we we're trying to figure out maybe we need to hire somebody else to take some of the work off my plate and that would do it. And so we hired a executive coach and I went into that training thinking, you know, I'm going to come out of here and be the best CEO possible. And it really dawned on me a few months into it. It was the first time I kind of asked myself, well, maybe I'm not, shouldn't be the CEO. Maybe Jason should be the CEO. Um, and we kind of explored that and it became really obvious that the best thing for the business to kind of unlock that next step and grow, uh, was for me to move out of CEO for my partner to move in and, you know, as a company matures, a lot of business is just repetition. It's doing the same things over and over a little bit better each day. It's not having to have all these groundbreaking ideas. Um, in fact, groundbreaking ideas over and over um, can be detrimental. And so about six months in, we made the plan and we, we figured out how we were going to make the transition. And that was four years ago. It was one of the best decisions of my life. And, you know, I often tell people, you actually meet a lot more people that are CEOs that are either unhappy or they're, they're not doing their job as well as they should. And, you know, I, the, the thing that makes you a founder and kind of scrappy and kind of a builder are also some of the same traits that don't make you great at being a consistent CEO. Yeah. And so, yeah, I made the move and that was, it'll be four years this year. And it was a incredible decision. The company is flourished under Jason's leadership and, you know, it's cool to be able to support him and the team in a different way and kind of get back to focusing on some of the things that, uh, you know, I think I'm better at one of them being podcasting. Yeah, no, I think sharing the message and being creative and to, to, cause sharing the message at scale, I mean, like you've, we've said already a million times, like it's going to help you get better employees. It's going to help you get better deals. It's going to help you get better partners. It's, that's such a valuable use of your time. I think I'm in a unique spot because I work with a bunch of business owners who are small businesses. And I think a trend I've seen over the last in my career is that they have a really hard time letting go um, where they they may be better served to be kind of in a chairman role or in a creator role because now they built this business and they have to spend all their time operating the business. And they don't like that. They're not good at it, but it pays the bills. What advice would you give? folks like that as they're trying to transition away? Um, one would just be to be honest with yourself. If, if, if uh, you're right on giving up control, that's a, that's a tendency for people that start businesses, but it's just being honest with yourself. Am I the best person to be doing this job? Uh, maybe you already know somebody within the company that might be better. Um, I would highly recommend hiring a coach that has experience and kind of diagnosing things like this. At the time, we were on the EOS system, um, which has the visionary integrator role. 
that was really helpful in just helping understand the business a little bit more. Um, there's several of those systems out there, but again, through that process also it became obvious Jason was, was the guy and really don't have any shame about it. I think a lot of people look at it as like not being CEO is like a, a loss or it's an L on their resume. Um, it's actually can be a great thing. And if your goal is to maximize the business and maximize uh, profits, the, the, the best unlock might be moving out and hiring someone that's more seasoned or more capable and designing a role for yourself that allows you to support the business in ways without distracting it. Yeah, I applaud you for doing that because – I think it's you're saying it and it sounds easy and I know it is not easy. Not I know easy. it is hard. To, it's hard to even identify that in yourself. Like even if you struggled with control and, and then it's really hard to give that up and trust that someone can do a better job than you. Yeah. And you see a lot of the CEOs that the, the publicity glamorizes and by all means they are, they're worthy of it. They're great. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or some of these amazing people. It's a very rare talent that you can go from something, you know, Amazon at one employee to, I think when he left, they had 550,000 employees. I would argue his job and, and, the, and the, the skills and requirements to do that job probably changed hundreds of times throughout uh, the course of, of that time. And so it's a special talent to go all the way. You're starting to see more of this executive chairman role starting to show up. I see it more and more, maybe because I am one. So I, I, when I see it, I, it catches my eye, but I think you'll see a lot more kind of founder types uh, not take the CEO role going forward. I think it's becoming a little more acceptable, and it absolutely is acceptable if, if what you want is the best for your business. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I see the uh, chief of staff pop up often, and that whenever I see that, a, a trigger goes off in my head that, okay, they might be doing a lot of the CEO stuff for the CEO, so the CEO can go do the visionary stuff. Yeah, yeah. A CEO, I mean, there's a lot, and, and, you know, you can read job descriptions. You know, there's certain things a CEO has to do. They have to make sure that there's capital in the business and that the culture is set and that they've built a great team, and those are all certainly things. But there, there's just a lot of tasks, and um, I'm actually in the process right now of potentially hiring a chief of staff or something like that to basically just execute projects that I want to get done that I don't want to spend time doing the administrative work or the, the daily things to get them done. I want to, again, spend more time casting the vision and, um, you know, building an audience and, and getting people to buy into the different things we're going to work on. Yeah. I think that's such a good use of capital because like you've identified that like the highest and best use of my time is spreading the message and casting vision but there's these things that come along the way that you need to allocate someone else to do it. Yep. So Chris, how do you, you run a business, you've got young kids. How do you, how does family, faith, friends fit into um, your daily grind of running for capital? Yeah, I think that's something that I've, I've had to also learn. I think the early days of building, you can quickly forget about the things that are important because you're so focused on the business and, well, I think you, I think everybody believes they're doing the right thing by providing and, and working hard. Um, you can begin to neglect things. And so my friend John calls it the five F's. I, I think I'll get it. It's faith, family, fitness, fun, and friends. And basically he just says, you know, do an annual audit of how are you doing in each category and be honest with yourself. And, you know, I think you talk to most people and you're like, list your priorities and they would say, uh, you know, faith and, then family and then friends and um, 
then fun and then finance. And then you really look at their calendar and it's like, it's all going to the business. And so I think one is just being aware. Um, I've had a lot of, I'm a byproduct of a lot of incredible men that have poured into me that have kind of walked the walk and, and what I call had it all. They had a great business. They had a great family. They were, had a great relationship with, uh, with their God. Um, in our case, Jesus, um, they had time for friends and they had fun along the way. And so being aware of it's one thing. I don't think anybody wakes up consciously making a decision to, you know, destroy any of those areas. But over time, if you neglect them, it's like all things, um, you know, they just kind of go by the wayside. And the last thing I would say to that is business guys will put a lot of time planning their business and strategy and, and all of this stuff. But then you think about, well, how do you build a strategy for your family or, you know, how do you build a strategy around uh, your faith? And, and they put no time in it. They just assume kind of through serendipity, it'll all work out. And if there's one thing I've learned, people that I admire that have raised great families, have great kids, they're close. They were super intentional about it. It didn't, it didn't happen by accident. Um, they were thoughtful about it. They were thoughtful about how they parented. They were thoughtful about, you know, how they communicated with their wife and spouse and, and all that good stuff. And so, I'd say it takes just as much effort to be good at those other things than it does your business. Yeah. And that, yeah, I couldn't agree more. None of nothing just happens. It requires intention. So yep. my, my wife and I were working on a uh, creating like a family vision statement because we've got all these decisions. It feels like coming up, I've got a five, three and one year old, like private school, public school, like where are we going to live? Like, cause if you, especially in this, in the Metroplex, if you don't slow down and think about it, like Dallas will just happen to you. Yeah. (laughs) We don't want that to happen. But uh, we, uh, well, the only thing I was going to say is my wife and I, we've been doing this for uh, almost three years now, but we have a weekly meeting once a week at my office. We have like an agenda we go through, which are kind of, you know, things that are important that week, calendar, travel, what's going on with the kids, what's going on with school. And so it's an hour and a half every Monday at my office. And um, it's been like one of the best things so that we're in sync. And, you know, we have a place at the bottom on like long-term projects or things that are coming down the pipeline, maybe later that year in the next couple of years that we need to start talking about. And so, uh, again, have to be intentional, but it's been one of the best things we've done for our marriage. Yeah, That's awesome. What would you, this will be the last question, what would you tell someone who's a decade behind you, getting out of college, starting a business, starting a family, what would be a key piece of advice you would give them as they want to keep time for family and faith and friends, but also kind of do what God's created them to do and go, like, they see nothing and they're going to go create something just like God did. Yeah. Um one, I would just tell them to be aware that all, again, all these things exist and that they, they're all important and are going to take, uh, attention and, and time. They're all worth it. Um, you know, it, early on, if you're just married, you have no kids. You, it, you probably have, if you're single, you have a ton of time. If you're married, you have less time. But once you start having kids, you have even less and less time, assuming you want to be present in their life. And so I have no shame in telling people, you know, work, work, you know, work as hard as you can earlier on because time dwindles or it becomes uh, scarce. Um, and I would really tell people to focus, find something you like doing if you're building a business and stay really focused on it and get really good at one thing. I think one of the things as I look back early on that probably 
created more work and I was working harder was because I was spinning a lot of plates. Uh, for us, that looked like doing student housing deals and land deals and building houses and flipping land and, and titling land. And while they all kept us busy, it, was, it took a lot of work without really building momentum or what we call a flywheel. And so I would tell people the quicker you get focused on something, the better, because I think you will have more time to spend in other areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Check out Chris on Twitter, Fort Worth Chris. Check out his podcast, The Fort. Jake, thanks for having me. There's products and services using the following business names. Foster Financial Group or Canvas Financial, Insurance and Financial Services. Emeritus Investment Company, LLC, AIC. Member FINRA, SIPC. Securities and Investments. Emeritus Advisory Services, AAS, Investment Advisory Services. AIC and AAS are not affiliated with Foster Financial Group or Canvas Financial. Information provided should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Please contact a financial advisor to discuss your personal financial situation.